just leaving you with it kind of a mess this morning, and we'll, we'll pick that story up again in a couple of weeks. But um, So many of you guys have, have, are married or have been through that process of, of being engaged and or will do that someday. Kristen and I have this amazing proposal story that I'm just going to share with you this morning. Um, so I graduated from college in December of 1991 and uh, moved home. Uh, we were in Springfield. Chris and I were in college and moved back. I moved back to Liberty. And we had already decided, um, you know, it's one of those weird things, like, how did we decide that? I don't know. But we decided we were going to get married that next summer. But the church we wanted to get married at um, was really busy, and it was a church that a lot of people wanted to get married at. So we had to put the date on the calendar um, before I had even proposed or given her a ring. So we had to lock this church up. So we, we scheduled our uh, ceremony for July 18th, um, which is really romantic, isn't it? Um, but the truth of the matter is, so we've got this date on the calendar, and I'm this recent college graduate. I don't have any money to buy her a ring anyways. So um, I go home. She stays in school. I start working all these part-time jobs. I've got an education degree, so I have to wait till the next year to really get a job. So I'm doing all these part-time jobs. I scrounge up enough money to buy her a ring. And, uh, but now I have to get really creative, right? Because we've already got the date on the calendar. She knows I'm going to propose. She knows the ring's coming. So I've got to do it in a way that she'll never expect that this is what's going to happen, okay? And I don't want you to do, get too excited right now because you will be disappointed by this story, okay? So Kristen was still in Springfield, and one of my friends was driving down there on a Thursday night. He was going to speak at the Christian ministry that she was a part of, that we were both a part of in college. And so I was like, hey, man, I'll ride along. This will be a great opportunity for me to go propose. So later that night, I talked to her roommates, and I'm like, hey, tomorrow morning, I'm going to come to your all's house really early, and so I want you to unlock the door so that I can get in. So... This is how things went down for the Millers. So on Friday morning, I come to her house, I think around 7, and uh, walk in, walk right into her room, get down on my knee next to her bed, and wake her up and propose to her. Because I figure, she'll never expect that, right? <laughs> so I proposed to her, and um, she said yes, and then we sealed the deal by going to Shoney's for the breakfast buffet. Because nothing says commitment like endless bacon, right? <laughs> Limitless bacon. So the funny thing in all of this, I told you you'd be disappointed, right? It's not near as romantic as you thought it was going to be. But, um, so the funny thing in this is that my wife is really kind of legally blind without glasses on. And so she was like, I could have been saying yes to anybody. I had no clue who was standing there. You were just kind of a shadow. So not only did she not um, have any idea really of what she was saying yes to in terms of being married to me, but also just to whom she was saying yes. Um, but that's true of a lot of things in life, right? I mean, there are many areas and arenas in our life that we're really not sure when we say yes what that is going to entail. And we think we know what we're getting ourselves into. Um, but then a lot of times we kind of get surprised. I think we're kind of naive sometimes at how difficult things in life actually are. I'm sure most of us have experienced uh, those things with maybe a job that you took and you got into, and then you're just like, man, this is way different than I thought it was going to be, way harder than I thought. 
Um, you get in those situations in friendships sometimes, in relationships, or maybe even in ministry that you've served in before. Reality ends up being a lot more difficult than you could have ever imagined. And all of us, is, as this story is telling here in the video, we are all kind of navigating our way through exile, through exile. Um, that's why we have this big sign up here, welcome not home, right? And uh, when we began this series, we started off with this passage in First Peter. I want to just revisit this morning. This is Peter writing to the early church. He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So, as followers of Christ, the Bible says we are foreigners and exiles in this world. This is not our home. We are waiting for our permanent home in heaven. And along the way of this life, uh, we are all navigating a myriad of relationships, right? Some of us have spouses, some of us have children, in-laws, we all have friends, maybe co-workers, classmates, teammates, all of these relationships. But today's video was focusing primarily on family. How do we define it and what's its purpose? And the narrator in the story, Evan, he said that there's not really a discernible difference between the way most Christians and, and non-Christians live in relationship in this world. And I think part of the problem in that lies in a subtle misunderstanding. Because I think most of us kind of assume that if we're trying to follow Christ, you know, if we're trying to be a good person, then life ought to be easier than it is. Relationships should be easier. Marriage should be easier. Parenting is supposed to be easier than it ends up being. And I think part of the problem we have is that a lot of times Christians in general do a good job of hiding how broken their relationships are. Instead of coming out and being honest and saying, man, this is a struggle. Marriage is hard. This relationship is hard. I don't want to forgive this person. We, we tend to kind of try to gloss it over and make it look like things are great all the time. And so we live under this assumption that if my marriage is messed up or if my kids are rebellious, that I must be doing something wrong. I must be a bad Christian, and people are probably judging me. Because I don't know about your life experience, but mine is a lot like Evan's with the compost guy, right? The crap just kind of comes and gets dumped, whether that's where you want it or when you want it there or not, right? Um, and then so what we do, we've got this driveway full of manure in our life, and so we do our best to kind of smooth it out and make something productive out of it, maybe a garden instead of just having a pile of crap on our lawn or in our life, right? I think it's important for us to consider something as a foundation to our discussion um, on saying yes to love. That's what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. One of the, the first things that came to mind for me as I watched this video was that in addition to saying yes to marriage in my life, one of the things um, that I encountered that I probably had no idea of what I was saying yes to was when I was 16 years old and I was at a Young Life camp and I stood up and I made this decision that I was going to give my life to Jesus and follow him forever, right? A lot of you guys can probably relate to that. 
I had no idea how hard that was going to be. I had no idea how difficult being obedient to God's word was. It was it's way harder than I ever thought it was going to be. I thought I was a pretty good guy, right? God was just going to have to tweak me a little bit. So the reason why it's been so difficult is because I've learned over 25 or 30 years of following Christ that I am way more sinful than I could have ever imagined. Way more sinful than I ever thought I was. But if we're looking for inspiration and saying yes to difficult things, then Jesus is really our role model. And so I want to kind of back it up to Christ this morning because he had to say yes to a lot of different things to be our redeemer and our savior, right? It began with him saying yes to leaving God's glory. Jesus was, was in the throne room of God continually since the beginning of creation. And so he says yes to coming down to this gritty, grimy, dirty, smelly earth Right? He said yes to being born into a family with a teenage mother who got pregnant before she was married. And who knows what rumors and gossip were floating around Nazareth about Jesus and his family. He said yes to being obedient to obeying perfect, I mean, sorry, imperfect parents. Right? He grew up as a kid that had to listen to what his parents said. He said yes to leading this band of misfit disciples. He said yes to being harassed by his fellow Jews, kicked out of his hometown, rejected. He was betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends in his greatest hour of need on the cross. Finally, he said yes to the the pain of the beatings and the floggings and the mockery and public humiliation and ultimately death on the cross, which included saying yes to being separated from his father in that moment so that he could take on the sin of the world. And why was Christ willing to endure so much? Why was he willing to say yes to all those things? We need to look in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it says that he did it for the joy set before him. What was that joy? Well, it was this knowledge that we just sang about, that one day his children, us, could be set free from sin, that we could experience real forgiveness and redemption and healing so that we can be reconciled with God, so that one day we can be in his presence in eternity. That was the joy that kept Jesus going in the midst of all the things that he had to say yes to that were hard in his life. He did it for love. And so as Christ followers, as imitators of him, as his disciples, people who are supposed to live and do the things that Jesus did, it is then our responsibility, our opportunity, our calling to say yes in a self-sacrificial way in relationships and friendships and marriage and family. Knowing what a struggle it was for Christ, how many obstacles he encountered as he navigated his own way through exile, we shouldn't be surprised when life is a struggle. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus told us it was going to be hard. Right? In John chapter 16, he's talking to his disciples and he says, guys, listen, in this world, there will be trouble. 
bet on it. It's going to be difficult. Relationships are going to stink sometimes, right? But then he says this. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's the part that we need to cling to, right? That take heart part. Let's look again at Hebrews. What does verse 3 say? It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider it. Because, see, we can so easily lose heart with love, can't we? Friendships get hard. Dating gets hard. Marriage gets hard. Churches get hard. Parenting gets hard. And oftentimes our natural inclination is to focus on the pile of manure instead of the opportunity of the garden that could exist. And the reason is simple, is that gardening is backbreaking work. Because nature by nature, see I didn't plan to say that, that's why it sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> Nature's role is to squeeze out life-giving things, right? So when you plant a garden, weeds come and vines come and weather comes and heat comes, you know, all those things come to beat down and to try to destroy what it is that you are trying to grow that's, that's giving life. And so we have to expect that it's going to be difficult. And when, and when you've got it all cleaned out and laid out and you've got the pile of poop in the right place and you plant the seeds under the ground, then you have to imagine the garden that could be, Right? So in relationships, sometimes after we get the weeds out and we try to get things right, we try to plant good seeds in the soil in our marriage or whatever it's going to be, we then have to imagine and hope that this is going to be better, that we're doing the right thing, that this is worth it, right? Because someday that plant, that tomato, that whatever that we're going to eat is going to be amazing or that plant that's going to grow up and make our yard beautiful, right? So my question for us this morning is what's the joy on the other side of whatever relational struggle you might be in right now? What is it that you're hoping for that keeps you enduring? Being like Christ means being patient when you're exasperated. It means being forgiving when you've been wounded deeply. It means being gracious when you'd rather condemn It means extending all the things to others that Christ extends to us each and every day. Okay, because every single day, every day, Christ is patient with me. Christ is forgiving towards me because I've done something stupid. Christ is gracious instead of condemning me. And when we live out of that reality that I need those things every day, And so how could I then not extend them to others? When we do that, we bring life to the world around us. We bring hope in relationships that that self-sacrificing love is still a possibility in this world. And we become a picture, an imitator of the love of Christ. And that's all I'm saying today. As Justin is going to take this and next week he's going to expand more and more into the, the whole idea of family and what that really means. Um, so I'm just going to let that be this morning, okay? So I want you to think about 
piles of manure this week, all right? And whether you're just going to let it be a pile or whether you're going to make a garden out of it in life. And, and what does that mean for relationships and the hard work that needs to be done there? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, we see those statistics on the board. We see the brokenness in this world, the brokenness in our own relationships, how hard some things are that we just could have never imagined how difficult those things were going to be. And God, we need hope. And then, Father, sometimes we even open up your word and we see pictures of families and people that you called and that you loved and that you chose to lead your people who were just messed up and broken. And as the video said, we see lies and adultery and murder and incest and all kinds of just heinous things. And then we wonder, man, where's our example? But then we we see you, God. We see your son and the way he broke in and said yes in so many self-sacrificial ways and loved people who were hard to love and ultimately loved each one of us. Lord, that he said yes to so many things that made him uncomfortable so that we might have life, so that I might be forgiven, so that I might have the opportunity to, to be healed, to spend eternity with you. And God, as Christ's imitators, we are called to be those same things. So help us, God, when things are frustrating, when people are frustrating, when situations seem hopeless, to not grow weary and lose heart, but to remember the joy set before you, God, and that we would have joy knowing that, God, if we're obedient to you and we're faithful to you and we love, God, that there can be fruit, there can be amazing things that grow up out of the garden in life, that it would be worth it in the end. Father, we love you, we thank you. Uh, just, man, for hanging in there with us when we are so frustrating to you. Lord, we love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we close today.